This is Going Direct, presented by Cal Fire Local 2881, a podcast created for the Cal Fire family. To another episode of Going Direct. My name is Didi Garcia and I am your local 2881 communications officer. Today, President Tim Edwards talks with our longtime legislative advocate, Aaron Reed, who founded Aaron Reed and Associates. Aaron has been advocating for our members and their families for over 40 years. Uh, today, he and Tim will be discussing the ins and outs of the hard work being done on behalf of our members at the Capitol. Welcome, Aaron. We look forward to hearing some of the history and behind the scenes of your work. Good afternoon, Aaron. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us today. Um, it, we do these podcasts, Aaron, so our members can understand who we have working in the background for us. And I really wanted them to get to know you because you are probably, um, if not the main, but the sole reason why we have a lot of things we have today for Local 2881. And we talk about you all the time and the members at convention get to know you but the general membership doesn't know who Aaron Reed is so I want to just start with a little introduction with your background how long you've been a legislative advocate when you started with us and and we'll go from there all right thank you Tim um it's I'm delighted to be here and delighted to be able to talk about Cal Fire Local 2881 and I go back to the days when it was CDFEA back in 1978 uh, in 1978, you and California Association of Highway Patrolmen were my first two clients when I formed my own uh, company some 42 years ago. And uh, I've been very blessed to have uh, growth in my firm. We now have 16 employees and seven lobbyists. Uh, hired Terry McHale. Uh, I've known Terry for over 30 years. I think I hired him 25 years ago to be on my staff back in the late 90s. Um, so we're proud and privileged to represent Cal Fire Local 281. Uh, little history, I started with CSEA in 1969. That's about 52 years ago. Uh, I'm the most senior lobbyist in the Capitol. There's probably a few thousand of us. Nobody has been around as long as I have. Um, and I don't know if that's good or bad, but I still love what I do, and I have no plans to slow down. Uh, but I started in CSEA, and I worked the collective bargaining bill through the legislature with the assistance of then Marty Morgenstern, who later became the director at uh, DPA, now called CalHR. And Marty was the brains behind the bargaining law, and he wrote it, and I helped lobby it through uh, in the 70s, mid-70s. And after it went through, I knew there would be uniting, and that the state workforce would be divided into units. So I quit CSCA and went to work for you and High Patrol to help assure that you got your own pure bargaining unit, just you alone. And CSEA had designs of a bargaining unit that was full of all public safety, and then they thought they might have a chance of winning it. Uh, we fought very hard against that, and uh, we won. And you have your own bargaining unit, uh, and so does High Patrol. Um, so that was quite a victory. The bill, I even remember the bill number was SP 839 by Senator Ralph C. Dills. And so we often call it the, the Dills Act. Uh, but Ralph Dills was a great guy, good friend, and a solid member of the legislature for decades. Back in those days, uh, 
legislators came to the legislature and stayed 20, 30, even 40 years uh, because experience matters. And uh, with term limits now, we have at the longest 12 years and then they're gone. And so they don't have a lot of experience, not like in the old days, uh, but, you know, we have to deal with what we have. Uh, term limits were even shorter before, six, six years in the assembly, and eight years in the Senate, uh, assuming you could do both and most could not. Uh, so 12 years is actually an improvement over the term limits we had at the beginning. So we're dealing with a term limited legislature, which means we're constantly educating them on issues we care about. Um, and it's a constant turnover. There's already been like four special elections this year in the, in the legislature to fill vacant positions. There'll probably be a few next year. Uh, so it's constant turnover. And in 2020, uh, 2024, I think we'll see about 30 or 40 vacant positions. Wow. So there'll be a huge, huge turnover at that point in time. But I've been blessed to be able to have a very successful lobbying firm. And uh, I, I, I pride myself on having people who really are significant and important. And I call them white hats. People who do the people's work and, and enjoy a great deal of respect. And so we don't take many clients that come knocking on our door. Uh, some of them are corporate polluters, pollute the environment. We, we say no, we won't represent them. Uh, so we're very picky and pleased that we can be. Uh, but firefighters, Cal Fire has always had a special place in my heart because you were first. You were, you were there first when I, very, when I first started the firm. And there's an old saying I live by, you always dance with the gal that brung you. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I do an awful lot of the work for Cal Fire myself, aided by t the wonderful Terry McHale. But there are many clients that my firm represents. I don't have anything to do with them. They don't even know me. They've never met me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and that I want to keep it that way because yeah. uh, I'm plenty busy enough just doing those that I care most about. So uh, I'm thrilled to be here and talk about the, the legislative process. Um, it, is, it is like no other. Uh, we have a bicameral legislature, which means two houses, the assembly with 80 members, Senate with 40 members. And again, you can serve only 12 years, any combination of service in the assembly or Senate. The assembly terms are two years, the Senate terms are four years uh, in any combination, but it cannot exceed 12 years. And so we're constantly uh, educating legislators, trying to get them to understand. And, and I will say this, CAL FIRE is one of the most complex departments in state government. Your, your work week, your, your training, everything about CAL FIRE is more complicated than say, you know, an average department. And so it takes a little educating, but we like to take legislators out on fires. We've scared a few legislators. Um, I'll mention one time Ray Snodgrass took uh, Senator Jim Brulte on a truck ride in the f middle of a fire, and they almost didn't make it. <laughs> uh, and Jim Brulte later said he, was, he became the Senate Republican leader, said he thought he was going to die. Well, that's what firefighters face every day when they're at work. Mm. That potential exists. So uh, 
our job is to try to convey as much of that as we can to the members of the legislature, how serious it is. Uh, we have members, as you know better than I, uh, who are working a month at a time without a day off. And how do you convey that exhaustion, that stress, that pressure that it puts on them, their families, their children? Uh, how do you convey that? It, it's, it's difficult, but, but it's important that we do that because we need relief. And we worked this year so hard to try to add additional firefighters uh, to we, we wanted an additional 356 firefighters, one per engine, uh, in order to gain some relief. We were not able to get that additional uh, augmentation yet. We're still working on it. We're never going to give up. We're never going to stop asking for more because we need it, we deserve it, and it's, it, it's a life safety, uh, life and death issue for us. So we'll keep working on that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Aaron, you... Um you mentioned that you uh, represent CHP, and that was when your first clients, they came on at the same time we did? Yes, they came on exactly the same time as you, and it was before the bargaining was, was law because the bargaining bill had passed, but it was then challenged by the attorney general named George Dukmasian, who later became governor after Jerry Brown. Um, but um, during the time I came to work for you and the patrol, there were no units designated yet. That was still to be determined how many units there would be. It, it ultimately became 20 bargaining units representing the entire uh, state employee workforce. Uh, it's now 21. They've added one additional unit. Uh, but at the time, we didn't know. Uh, there were CSEA wanted 10 mm. uh, units. We ended up with double that. Uh, and we pushed hard, very hard, so that you could have your own bargaining unit and I mean there are some bargaining units with 40,000 people in them so your unit is smaller of course and patrol is smaller uh, but there are some units that are four or five times bigger uh, and there are some units that are just a hodgepodge of a mixture of people that don't even have common interests um, but we sought a pure bargaining unit for you because your your unit is pure with just Cal Fire. Yeah. And same with Hypedrill. So um, we had uh, Rick and Carrie in from CHP, CHP uh, last time. And, you know, they we, we talked briefly about their um, pay parity and how it came about. And you, um, being the le their legislative advocate, played a really big role in them being able to achieve pay parity. But that came, um, and I believe Carrie said, through an override. And so can, can you kind of explain that process, how that happened with you being the legislative advocate for them? Well, the, the, there's actually uh, two separate issues. Uh, the override, I have to go back to, to, to 1974. In 1974, and that was before I signed on with them, but I was a lobbyist for CSEA, and I knew the lobbyist for the Association of High Patrolmen. And we were buddies. In fact, we went drinking together um, uh, back in my youth. Mm -hmm. um, so they had, SPB did a formula of five jurisdictions. Five jurisdictions, and they took the arithmetic average, weighted average, and that became the, the, the lag number. Um, but then as we were moving into bargaining, they thought, well, maybe they should 
you know, formalize that. So in 74, before bargaining, before bargaining, uh, they put into a statute um, a formula that they would be guided by in, into the statute is Government Code uh, 19827. Okay, so Government 19827 preceded bargaining, and, and so Reagan signed it. Uh, it went to Reagan's desk in 74. Uh, just before he left, uh, Reagan signed the bill. And Jerry Brown was elected in November of 74 and took office in January of 75. So, so in 75, 76, 77, and 78, those four years, Jerry Brown disregarded the formula. Hmm. He would not honor it. And they fell further and further behind. And so in, in 78, when I was hired, they were behind 20.6%. Okay. And, and they were very unhappy. The meeting, I, I can remember vividly right now, January 79 board meeting I went to, I swear they were throwing chairs at each other. They were so furious over the four years, going on five years of having their formula it completely ignored, mm -hmm. uh, completely ignored by Jerry Brown. So they put a line item in the budget for the 20.6% pay raise. And legislature passed it, and because then there was no bargaining. Keep that in mind at that time, and and went to Jerry Brown and he vetoed it. Wow. Okay, so they were obviously very very upset, and they wanted to go for an override. We did, and we got it. Okay, but times were different then. It yeah, that was my second override. No lobbyist ever in history of California has done two successful overrides. I worked on an override with a young assemblyman named John Burton, who later became Congressman Burton, who later became Senator Burton, pro tem of the Senate, and then became chairman of the Democratic Party, is now 86 years old uh, and still a friend. Uh, I worked with John Burton and the then Senate Majority Leader, George Moscone, who became mayor of San Francisco and was assassinated. Uh, I worked with them on the override it was excruciatingly difficult, extremely difficult. We lost it in the Senate uh, by one vote. Um, and then, you know, a missing senator came and said, hey, bring it up again. Don't tell anybody. I'll be your 27th vote. And sure enough, it worked out. Uh, so that was hard. Jerry Brown, the override was harder yet because he was a Democrat and Democrats controlled the legislature even at that time. And uh, overriding a governor is very hard. Governor can threaten you as a member of the legislature, say, I will veto every bill you ever have. I will never appoint anybody you want appointed, judge, no judges, no appointees. In fact, I may take a few parks away from your district. I'll make sure you get nothing. Uh, in fact, I'll support your opponent in the next election. That's the power that a governor has. Now, Jerry Brown was young at the time. And we still had senior members of the legislature who'd been there for 20 years and even 30 years. So the override, they, they, weren't, they weren't, you know, insecure. They were secure in their own skin. So they voted for it, and, and the override succeeded. There has never been another override since then. Yeah. There was, there's five governors since Jerry Brown. Uh, George Mason, Pete Wilson, Gray Davis, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and now Newsom. No override 
of any governor in the last 40 years. And it's not going to happen. And with term limits, legislators are less secure about trying to take on a sitting governor who has that much power. So there is no chance that Newsom will be re, uh, overridden on anything. Yeah. Um, so but, you were, you were, and it's good we're talking about override because you were successful in getting pay parity for us to great, I believe, Gray Davis. He vetoed it on the way out, out the door when he was recalled. And then you also were able to get it to Arnold Schwarzenegger's desk who vetoed it also. And a lot of our members always say, well, why doesn't the legislators that they want it override? So it's good that you're explaining um, overrides just don't happen every day, and especially today at this day and age. And, and there are other groups that have tried to do a formula, none successful. The, the patrol has theirs because they had it well before bargaining was ever instituted. Uh, they've had it years before. Uh, years before there was collective bargaining. Because uh, even after the bargaining law passed in the mid-70s, and as I mentioned, uh, Attorney General who was elected in 1978 was George Dukmasian. He filed a lawsuit against the collective bargaining law claiming it was unconstitutional. And it took a while for that court case to work its way through the system. But ultimately, collective bargaining was, was upheld, as we know, because we have bargaining today. Uh, so it took a, quite a few years to get the, all of that worked out. Um, and so the first contracts didn't really occur um, until after those court cases were, were done. But CalHR has taken a position, and DPA prior to that, that they're opposed to formulas because bargaining is bargaining, and you're supposed to bargain it. Now, you do have benchmarks that you follow, you know, 20 jurisdictions that you compare to, yeah, and we have those numbers, but they don't always come through. Yeah, with with the right amount of money, and for whatever reason, uh, sometimes they say they don't have the money. Other times, you know, some other excuse. But we're, our lags are significant for firefighters. It's a, one of the highest lags uh, behind their prevailing rates of any group that I know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you when we talk about bargaining, a lot of our you know, we, we had our um, labor attorney, Gary Messing, on a few months ago, um, who is our attorney at the table, um, actually sits at the table during negotiations, and it was good to hear um, Carrie and Rick, you know, talk about they're the two negotiators at their table. They don't have an attorney. But what our members don't understand and, and what they need to know is a lot of bargaining – our negotiations goes on really behind the scenes. And, and Aaron Reed plays a big part of that, you. <laughs> and, and so um, they need to know that it's not just done at the table, that you, through your connections and all the years that you've been over there, get the doors open for us to have those conversations, even though some of them are not so fruitful at the administration level, but at the lower levels in the, in the legislators, you're well-respected. And so with that, um, we do, you know, what we can, but also you play a big role in a lot of the bills that we've got, the EIDL bill that we've gotten a lot of other stuff in the three bills we have now sitting at the governor's desk. So I want to briefly talk about, um, 
the, the process when we say we're going to do a bill and, and the process it actually took, especially these three, to get to the governor's desk, and, and we all are hopeful that he signs them, but it was like watching it this year, right? <laughs> you guys do an amazing job, and I don't know how you do it because I was getting frustrated every day listening to these people, but it was kind of, I, I related it to a lot of people like the Ford versus Ferrari where that red, uh, red uh, little envelope went through like four people before it got to someone, but a bill goes through like how many committees, Aaron? Just talk about bill process. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I will. And and let me mention that how much joy I get uh, out of working on bills that benefit your members. Yeah. Uh, I go back when you're when you didn't even have safety retirement, and then we got safety retirement. But you had the like the bottom rung of safety retirement, two percent at fifty, um, and then we gradually improved your formula and improved it more and got the patrol formula, and then we worked on. Uh, 3% at 50, that was legislation. That was, we worked together with the High Patrol Association on that and delivered that. Uh, now, unfortunately, Jerry Brown came along and undid it for new hires, and now they have 2.7 at 55. 57. In, excuse me, at 57. Yeah. 2.7 at 57. And <laughs> I argued with him on that 55 versus 57. And I'll never forget him sitting there. I'm sitting as closer than I am to you. Marty Morgenstern was right there. And he said, God damn it, Aaron. He said, you can't tell me that when these new hires retire in 30 years from now, they're not going to live two years longer. And I said, <laughs> so, you know, so I lost uh, on the 55, keeping the 55 went to 57. Uh -huh. But again, it was for new hires after PEPRA. PEPRA stands for Public Employee Pension Reform Act. After he did PEPRA, and I think it was 20... 12, um, you know, it's new hires. So so the legacy employees who are prior to that still have three at 50. Uh, that was that was important. Um, we did highest single-year final comp back when George Duke Mason was governor, uh, highest single-year final comp. It used to be average of three years. Now they're rolling that back and trying to, for, for new hires to go back to the old. They did, yeah. Yeah, three. But, but we got it highest single year for a long, long time, decades, actually. But as far as the bills this year, we had three sponsored bills, all of them very important. I wouldn't say one's more important than the other because each group is impacted by them in a different way. But the one that applies to everybody is AB 72 by Assemblymember Jim Wood, and that would give you 4,800 time. And 4,800 time is the labor code section, 4,800 of the labor code. That's why we call it 4,800 time. Local firefighters have labor code section 4,850. It's just a, a slightly further, deeper into the statute book. Um, but they've had it for decades, and you've never had it. And it's totally, completely unfair mm -hmm. and, and unbelievable. We put a 4,800 time bill on Jerry Brown's desk. He vetoed it. He called it money. And at the same time, he had given it to the Fish and Game Wardens, yep. which we found absurd but just absurd that he wouldn't sign our bill but we came back with this bill ab 872 and by jim wood it's now on the governor's desk it would give you 4800 time when after jerry vetoed the 4800 time before uh we realized he wasn't going to sign a 4800 time bill so we did eidl enhanced industrial disability leave for everybody uh so eidl 
was a fallback, but we always wanted 4,800. And you, Mr. President, were the one that told us this year, go after it again. So we took your direction to do that, and we went to Jim Wood and have him had him author the bill. I'm pleased to say that bill passed the entire legislature, some six different hearings, uh, floor votes. In every hearing, whether it's a policy hearing, fiscal hearing, uh, or floor vote, uh, not a single no vote. Not a single no vote. That's a vote of confidence from the legislature to the firefighters at CAL FIRE, uh, in my view. It's, it's a show of their respect. So it sits on the governor's desk. Now we'll await his action. He has until October 10th uh, to act on all the bills that are on his desk right now. We put two more bills on his desk. Uh, we also put SB 206 by McGuire that has to do with giving seasonals uh, coverage under the Firefighter Bill of Rights. And again, Mr. President, you were responsible for our moving in that direction. And we also had local firefighters who were in contact with McGuire as well. So we thank them for their work and their effort to alert Senator McGuire. And AB, or excuse me, SB 206 passed the legislature as well. Uh, and again, no, no votes, no, no votes. Now, it, I don't want to say that and people think it was so easy. It wasn't easy. No. Every <laughs> bill had speed bumps. Each bill had some problems along the way. The, the 4800 time bill right, right at the end, uh, the department threw us a big curveball and wanted all kinds of amendments to the bill. And we had almost no time to work those amendments out. We tried our best to do that. Um, but they came in late. They said it was because they hadn't received approval to take a position on the bill until late. So anyway, that's what they said. Uh, same happened on, on seasonal being covered by the Bill of Rights. Uh, but that bill's on the governor's desk as well. And the third bill is AB 579. And again, these are just in random order. Uh, AB 579 was by our good friend, Republican member, uh, Heath Flora. Uh, who was formerly a CAL FIRE seasonal firefighter. So he knows a, a bit about uh, CAL FIRE. Um, he carried that bill, and that bill came from the members, and it came from a survey that was taken that, that surveyed the members about the, the, the PPE that they get from Prison Industry Authority, PIA, and, and it came back very critical of the fit and finish of the PPE that they get from PIA. But yet the department's forced to purchase the PPE from PIA, Prison Industry Authority. So we ran a bill that said, no, the department can purchase it wherever they want, wherever they can purchase private vendors. Local firefighters, they don't wear Prison Industry Authority stuff. Mm. They have private sector produced, whether it's, you know, uniforms or uh, PPE, um, and we think you should have that same option to choose. And so that bill provides the option uh, and not required to use PIA. And that bill again passed without a single no vote. So that one, we had maybe the least amount of trouble. Uh, the other two had a little bit of a uh, few more hurdles, but even that bill had some hurdles because there was some squawk from PIA because they're losing business. Uh, and the state purchases a lot of things from prison industries. Desks, for example, in, in state offices are produced there. Uh, 
file cabinets, credenzas, uh, I don't know what else. Uh, but anyway, all three of those bills are sitting on the governor's desk. And it's a tribute to the members. It's a tribute to you, Mr. President. Uh, and it's a tribute to your board of directors because Terry and I don't make policy decisions. You do. And the board does. And we take direction from you as to whether you're going to support a bill, oppose a bill, or we want to amend this bill, or even introduce a bill. Those, that guidance comes from you and the board of directors, and we appreciate it. And, of course, you have a convention each year, and they do resolutions, and they come out with priority uh, items, and they give guidance to the board. Uh, so it's a very democratic process, and I think the members should be proud of the democratic way that Cal Fire goes about doing their business. Uh, I've heard this term before, union bosses. Our detractors will say, oh, union bosses. There is no such thing in my world. I have never met one. I've only met leaders who work collaboratively and, and collectively with their members and their boards. I don't see dictators anywhere. I don't see bosses anywhere. I see leaders, uh, but they all work together. And so I, I think that your members need to know that and respect that and know that Cal Fire is one of the finest organizations in the state. Yeah. Um, you talked about our Republican, Republican friendly friend, Flora, and this touch briefly, cause we have a lot of, um, members out there that think we just support, um, Democrats, but you've worked with us many, many, many years. And in your, in your mind, is that, is that accurate? No, it's not accurate, uh, at all. Uh, we have been supporting Republicans forever. As long as I can remember, and, and we have a lot of conservative members, a uh, lot of NRA members. Uh, although I'll say here, gun control is not an issue that we do. It's not for us. That's we leave that to the NRA and other gun groups. Uh, but we have a lot of conservative members, and we've supported. We've had great friends, Senator Neil Jim Nielsen up north, and James Gallagher up north. And uh, down south, we, we've got Republican friends all over. Uh, some remember Phil Chen from Southern California. I could name a bunch. But we've done that all along. Um, I can't say that for the other firefighting organizations. Some of them are more Democratic. Now, we do recognize that, unfortunately, there's a huge majority of Democrats in the legislature. In the 80-member assembly, 61 are Democrats, and 19, 18 are Republicans, and one's an independent, Chad Mays. He was a Republican. They chased him out of the party, so he registered as an independent. So we have 61 Democrats, 18 Republicans, and one independent. Uh, so that's pretty lopsided. That means 75% of the assembly are Democrats. Mm -hmm. It only takes two-thirds. Two-thirds vote is 54. Uh, they've got quite a bit more than the two-thirds. Uh, in the Senate, it's not much different. In the Senate, it's only 40 members. And of those 40 members, 31 are Democrats, 31. And only nine are Republicans. So we have a great imbalance. So, yeah, we have to realize that Democrats basically call the shots and, and they you have to have their support. And so... Uh, even with that, we had two Democratic authors and one Republican. 
Um, so, um, and we didn't have one Republican vote no on our bill. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. correct. And and then on top of on top of the legislation, of course, there's the budget itself, and the budget itself is always a ton of work. We testify often about the budget and the needs of the department. And unfortunately, the way the system works, I think that the the director of the department can only say he supports whatever the budget is the Department of Finance and the governor gave him at the beginning of the year in January when he unveils his budget. And then there's a May revise that comes along five months later. Uh, so he's sort of gagged in a way about saying anything beyond what was approved. But we're not. We're able to speak the truth. We're able to speak honestly about the needs and say, no, we need more. We're desperate. We need more engines. We should have 400 engines. We have 356. We, we need more firefighters. Not We need more seasonal, but we need more permanent firefighters. And again, uh, to harken back to what I was mentioning about the budget fight, we fought as hard as we worked on all of these bills all of that combined together, we, we put in more work than that on the budget trying to get these additional positions. And we succeeded in getting support from both the Assembly and the Senate. But in the end, the governor's office, whether it was finance or who, we don't know, or whether you know the department said, no, we, we can handle it with what we have. Uh, we're always afraid they say that because they're afraid not to. Um, so it, it made it difficult for us uh, on the budget, but budget is always a very important thing for us. Um, so, and it will continue to be. Yeah. We'll be back at it again real soon. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> They're gone now. Legislators yeah. are gone. Yeah. Till when, when do they come back? They come back uh, January 3rd of next year to, to take up the second half of a two year legislative session. So any bill that's still alive uh, has to pass the House of Origin by the end of January 2022. Mm -hmm. If it does not pass the House of Origin, it's dead. Uh, now, there will be a lot of bills taken up in January. January will be a very, very busy month. Uh, and then new bills will also be introduced. You can introduce a new bill, uh, although you only have 2022 to get it passed, because at the end of 2022, it's over. That session ends completely and a whole brand new session starts again um, at the end of the year. Um, so uh, it, it's, it's a continuation of, of this year. There were some bills that didn't pass, but they're still alive. So we'll take a look at those during the interim period here and, um, and then possibly talk about what bills you might want to do for next year. Uh, I guess I can say here that we're talking to a legislator about a bill on engine staffing. Okay, at your direction, Tim. Mm -hmm. uh, I won't go into any details but because we're working on it and there's no decision made yet, uh, but there's some desire to do actual legislation to draw attention to the need for additional firefighters. Um, so that would be outside the budget. Yeah. So, um, Aaron, with the with the makeup of the um, both the Senate and the House, 
and where where do you feel? I mean, I feel a majority of them comes from areas where Cal Fire is not. For an example, uh, what I saw, maybe I saw inaccurately on the assembly side, especially on the budget side of it, a lot of those committee members were from the LA area. Right. And then there was a lot from the Bay Area, right? Is that accurate? Yes, yes. And so when we go back to when you were saying that you have a lot of educating to do, that's really an uphill battle for you, isn't it? Because we're not in... Cal Fire is not so prevalent in LA County or in San Francisco where most of these people come from. So everybody thinks these, there's a lot of people that believe these legislators should just understand what Cal Fire is, but. Well, you're absolutely correct, Tim. Uh, A lot of them think that, you know, it'll never impact me, but I can say over the last few years, there's been a change in attitudes. Uh, take Sacramento, for example. Sacramento maybe didn't care so much about Cal Fire, but all of a sudden now we're impacted because we've had smoke over our city for a month or more at a time where the sky is orange and the, and you can't see the sun. Uh, that And last year was worse. Uh, and the year before and the year before and the year before. And, and the smoke goes into the Bay Area. Now, and Bay Area cities are now being impacted by air quality, or I should say lack of air quality. And so they're beginning to realize, you know what? There, there's, a, there's a relationship between these forests and the fires and the air quality, the watershed, uh, the, the you know mudslides that occur in Santa Barbara, for example, after those big fires a year ago. Then they had mudslides that killed people. Um, you know, people are beginning to understand that our forests need to be healthy. We've been preaching that for decades. We tried to thin the forests long ago, and the environmentalists said, oh, no, you can't do that. Over 20 years ago, we went with Bob Wolf, who was then president, with aerial photographs of Lake Arrowhead and put them on Gray Davis's desk in his office and showed him all the dead and dying trees in Lake Arrowhead and said the egress in and out of Lake Arrowhead is like a two-lane road. Uh, If the fire breaks out up there, people are going to die because it just will. And it scared the bejesus out of Gray, and he added firefighters. We did the same thing with Schwarzenegger. We showed him these maps of all dead and dying trees all over California. He added firefighters. We have to do more of that um, to show that, you know, how serious it is. I mean, the number of how many millions of dead and dying trees there are is is frightening. Um, So more and more people are beginning to pay attention to that because it does impact people that live in the cities. Even in L.A., uh, we know for sure the Santa Ana winds blow. And when they do, there's usually big fires. And we're down there. Uh, it may be that L.A. fire is on TV and it's not Cal Fire because sometimes, you know, even though you might be incident command, uh, the local fire chiefs tend to want to be on TV. Uh, but Oakland Hills fire, Oakland is city. Yeah. I, I remember vividly the Oakland Hills fire and Cal Fire was incident command. People didn't really know it, 
because you were gracious enough to let the local fire department step up to the microphones and the cameras. But Cal Fire was incident command for the Oakland Hills fire that destroyed millions of dollars worth of homes um, in the Oakland Hills. Um, seems like only yesterday. So, so more and more people who live in the cities have to realize, hey, the smoke from our fires went as far east as I know I know the East Coast. Yeah. The, the smoke rose up, got in the jetway that at the where the winds are aloft or about 100 miles an hour, blowing east, and that smoke went all across the United States. <laughs> so, so we're impacting the weather and, and the air quality all over the country. Yeah. So anyway. Another part of the educational piece that I know you guys work extremely hard on um and you guys were a big part of the reason why we went from department of forestry to cal fire with that name change but the all risk portion of of cal fire really being the state's fire department and, and municipal so that that's been a big lift for you too over the years huh oh <laughs> that was one of the biggest lifts and we were so committed terry and i uh, I mean, we were so committed to having a name because I, I go back when it was just the Division of Forestry, then the Department of Forestry. And then I carried a bill to change the name. And the best we could convince the administration was to add and fire protection at the end of the name. So that was done. And so it's the Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. So we did that. And guess who opposed it? Environmentalists. Environmentalists opposed it. Well, we wanted to go further because Caltrans' official name is not Caltrans. It's the Department of Transportation. If you look at the budget documents, mm -hmm. it all says Department of Transportation. Nobody calls them that. They call them Caltrans. Okay? We knew that. So we ran a bill for Nick allowing Cal Fire to be called Cal Fire instead of Department of Forestry and Fire Protection, which they're still called that too. Um, and the Enviro's opposed it. And the then assembly member that was chair of the Natural Resources Committee killed our bill in her committee. So your board got up in arms and at the time said, let's do something about it. So that woman who's uh, Hannah Beth Jackson, I'll name her, uh, ran for Senate. You backed her Republican opponent, and your friends at the Highway Patrol joined with you in backing that Republican against her. And guess what? We won. She lost. She lost. He sat in the Senate for eight years, and she, she was blocked. She later came back and served eight years in the Senate. And when, and when she wanted to come, she called me, and she said, I'm the new Hannah Beth. Mm-hmm. Because we had it out. I mean, she knew how angry we were and why we went with her opponent. Uh, and she said, I'm the new Annabeth. And so we took her at her word and we supported her. And she did. And she came back and she was better and more understanding and more helpful than she had been in her previous days in the assembly. So... We fought hard to get the name Cal Fire. We got it through. Russ Bogue was the author, Assemblyman Russ Bogue at the time. Um, he now has a relative in the Senate. 
um, uh, with the same last name, Oak. Um, so uh, we, we pushed it through and got it. And I think that was one of the most significant rebrandings of a department I've ever seen because Cal Fire really stuck. And it was tribute to Terry McHale, tribute to Ruben Grijalva, who stood firm and, and he saw the wisdom in it. And he helped us when we passed the law to figure out what's the patch going to look like, what's the no logo going to look like, how do we do that. And now all that artwork was worked out after the bill was signed into law. But that was a great victory. I'm one of our proudest moments. So another thing I want to touch on real quick before we start wrapping it up is, um, you know, a lot of, you know, myself included are not too happy with the appointments to the secretary of resource and the appointment of the director. Um, and our, our, our members yell for us to go after them and, and try to remove them. Do you, do you think that, I mean, we all like to say things, but how realistic do you think that would be, especially in the in the politics of today where um, with this current administration? Well, there, there's a term I learned decades ago called gubernatorial prerogative. And selecting the executive management of the state is gubernatorial prerogative. And even though some of them require a Senate rules confirmation hearing and then a vote by the Senate to confirm, uh, they take, they give the governor great latitude to appoint people that he wants. And they say it's the governor's right to have a team that he picks. So that's why each new governor picks typically new people, um, people they want. And it's a, it's an attack on the governor if you attack his cabinet member, uh, who would be the agency secretary, and there's several agencies, and so there's several agency secretaries that compose the governor's cabinet. Um, so governors take that pretty seriously. So the risk you run is offending the governor in addition to the <laughs> appointee themselves. So the, the, the governor's generally given quite a bit of latitude in those appointments. So what we try to do is do the best we can to convince these people to do the right thing. And and it takes a lot of work, and sometimes we're successful, sometimes maybe not so much, but uh, it's something that's a constant in our life. Um, whether it's a director of the department or the agency secretary or even people in the Department of Finance. I mean, if there's one department I dislike, that's it. Yeah. Well, there's two, okay. <laughs> I don't like general services very much either because yeah. uh, the way they control the purchases and, and, and then they take their administrative cut out of every deal uh, to, to pay for their bureaucracy. Uh, so there's two departments, I guess, I can say I don't like very much because Department of Finance, they know one word. Yeah. No. <laughs> so another thing when we talk about what the, the, the field and the membership is, you know, I, I try to explain to them um, every move we make has either a, a consequence to possibly uh, or, or an outcome that we're, we don't want if we take action. So I know I'm always consulting with you, especially you, 
when it comes to it. So when they, you know, there, there are moments where, where, you know, you've seen me where I'm just so frustrated with the administration on both the, at the department and higher up in, in the administration of the state. But in your, in your mind, is it, does, is it beneficial? I don't even know how I want to say it, but how, how, if, if I, if I were to be at the whim and listen to everybody and we openly attack the administration as a whole, do you feel that's beneficial in any way or, or could be harmful? No, I'll just say straight away, it, it would be harmful. Uh, going rogue against this governor or his administration will get you nowhere. I mean, I'm just going to say it. And I've been doing this over 50 years. Nobody can match my background. Nobody can match my experience. Um, but I just tell you that we have to work in the system. We have to be persistent. We have to be more persuasive. We just have to work harder. Uh, but to, to attack uh, them would be not well met. And they have so much power. It's just like on an override. They can say, okay, fine. I don't have to. You know, you have to bargain a new contract in less than 10 months from now. Okay, you'll be back at the bargaining table. And, I, and, and sometimes I don't even call it collective bargaining. I call it collective begging because, in a way, that's what it is. You don't have the right to strike. Firefighters are statutorily prohibited from striking, the only group that is. Others can, but they don't. Um, I'll never forget Reagan fired the air traffic controllers when they struck. I didn't, I'm a lifelong pilot. I don't know how he could get away with firing the air traffic controllers, but he did. Um, that taught them a lesson. Uh, they thought they were irreplaceable. Yeah, guess what? Yeah. Uh, so I, I just think you have to do the persuasive route and do everything you can to schmooze, to, to, to make your case, uh, make it stronger, make it better we have a case we have the arguments we have the facts on our side uh we we have i think the dixie fire is almost on the verge of being a million acres which will tie the august complex fire of over a million acres last year and dixie may in fact go past it so it may ultimately be the biggest fire in the history of california and uh, the calder fire is growing out of sight uh threatened lake tahoe i mean that was on the front pages and that was on national news. You make national news every night with the fires here in California right now. Uh, so, you know, we need to enlist support. President Biden, okay, he, he's come out saying that his firefighters need not only to be paid better, and he, he suggested they all make at least the minimum wage, but he says, no, we have to do better than that. Mm -hmm. We need to work with him and, and see if we can't get him to help us here. And IAFS IAFF is particularly close to Biden. They were one of the earliest, strongest supporters of Biden when there was a crowded Democratic field before the primary, before anybody knew he would win the primary, then later win the general election against Trump. Uh, so we have other options other than, you know, going rogue. So we need to explore those options and work with friends who can maybe help us uh, make our case. Uh, but I, I don't think getting in a fight with the governor is, is, is a good idea at all because actually the governor has great respect for Cal Fire. When he was sworn into office, the very first press conference he ever had 
was at a Cal Fire station in Colfax. The very first speech he gave to a group was your convention right after he was sworn in. So we need to get back to that and reestablish, you know, our friendship and try to just keep pushing and keep doing what we're doing. Um, and and that that's the course that I would recommend. Again, I don't make policy, as I said earlier, uh, neither does Terry. We follow the advice of the board and the guidance from the board. But if they're asking my opinion, I just gave it. Yeah, well, I know you are very respectful of not creating policy or trying to push policy, but I will, I will tell our members and I know the board believes it too, Aaron. And, um, we don't have the experience of 50 plus years dealing in politics. So we, we rely heavily on the consultation from you um, before we make those decisions. And yes, when, if we choose to do something, um, that goes against that, you, you are, like you said, you go with it and you push our agenda. But I, I could tell you, I, I highly rely on your counsel when it comes to, <laughs> to stuff like this, because you, you know, I can get pretty hot-headed at times and, and want to go off the wrong way, but that's more harmful overall than it is good. And so I suck it up and take it from the membership without them knowing. But um, I just want to say before we wrap it up is one, I, I appreciate everything you and your firm does and Terry McHale for us. And, and I say this and I say this in all trueness. A lot of the things that we have today is because of the work that you've done for us. And, and we are way better off with you um, being the way you are over there at the Capitol and the bulldog that you are over there for us. So I am appreciative and I know everybody that's ever met you is very appreciative of you. So, um, I just want to thank you for taking the time and, and coming to introduce yourself to the overall membership that doesn't get the meet yet convention and stuff like that. So, um, thank you for everything you do for us, Aaron. Well, it's my privilege. Thank you for having me. Yep. All right. That's it for another episode of Going Direct. Thanks so much to Aaron from Aaron Reed and Associates for giving our listeners some insight into legislation and, and some of the behind the scenes on how the work is done for our members and their families. Make sure to give us a follow so you can uh, always be informed whenever we have a new episode available. And we are also available for streaming on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.